This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Salmon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we take a look at the ancient use of gospel, or euangelion in Greek, and how the New Testament writers are subversively playing off of this Greco-Roman idea. Yeah. Welcome back from the summer. We, uh, it's been a while since we actually sat in this studio recording. Shh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Top secret. Top secret stuff behind <laughs> the scenes. We're back to our weekly posting schedule, though. Yep. Got some good Facebook love for that. People enjoyed hearing that. Back to our weekly posting. A lot of things have happened this summer. Uh, I just got back from Israel and Turkey just a couple weeks ago. So I, I may be a little bit more jazzed, a little bit more pumped up than usual. Maybe a little bit more, uh, I don't know, obnoxious, whatever the word is. More amped. <laughs> That that's how we started this uh, whole podcasting setup. So that's right. It's good to bring back that original energy. That's right. You you have some developments in your family front. Yeah, I had a child yeah. while we were on break. Yeah. To be clear, Brent's wife had the child, and he she is, did. Yep. He is co co laboring in the parenting call. A so l- a little son named Darius. Yeah, as in like King that. Darius. Yeah, I like that. And changing your personal context more. You'll be able to speak out of a whole new place in life now. I didn't think it would be that different or crazy, but it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. All, all kinds of things are going to change. That's good for our listeners to know. I typically go and bring up our personal lives to put you on the spot like that. But it's good uh, It's good personal context. Well, it is a biblical name, so it only seems right to talk about it on our only biblical seems right. podcast. That's right. Absolutely. I like it. Let's see what else has changed. Uh, a lot of things have come in this summer, uh, by the way, from our Bayma listeners. We have some people who have started supporting us financially, and that's uh, I want to give just a massive thank you and shout out to those listeners that have signed up for monthly commitments or sent in large gifts or even small gifts. Um, we make those, uh, whatever you want to call that, those um, support recruiting, please, asks, whatever you want to call it, uh, every now and then on our episodes. And just want to recognize the people, the fact that people are hearing that and responding. And who knows what this whole podcast thing will become and what it will do. But uh, uh, enough support comes in and we can start asking a whole other set of questions about who we are and what we're doing. So that's pretty cool. Uh, helps us do what we do. So thank you guys for doing that. But enough about that. Let's talk about gospel. What'd you call it, Brent, in the Greek? Euangelion. The Euangelion. I want to talk it, a little bit. Or is it Jellion? Je, no, not quite. <laughs> not but that jelly. might be Euangelion. I like that. <laughs> a lot of play on words there we could. Anyway, yeah. Euangelion. I want to talk about gospel. Um, we're about ready to dive into the gospels. Um, next podcast, we will start diving in. I want to take a look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and John before we start walking through the life of Jesus. I want to look at every single one of those different gospels. I want to set up that conversation today. And the first part of that conversation is uh, uh, just covering a few bases before we jump into talking about gospels. So uh, first thing I want to point out is I'm not going to try on this podcast at all to harmonize the gospels. That's a very popular uh, discussion, Um, definitely one that I was steeped in in Bible college, and not that it's not useful, not that there's not a place for that, but the last podcast we talked about um, things like uh, documentary hypothesis, we talked about the who, what, where of the text. We had this really, um, I don't know what you want, for some of us it might have been a struggle, for some of us it might have been new, for some of us it might have been old and not that big of a deal, but for some of us it might have been a little provocative uh, discussion about the nature of the text and um, part of the reason that I pushed on that and decided to do that podcast, and, and because it's going to make a difference not only in today's conversation, 
But I wanted, I'm just really passionate about getting us to stop asking the same questions about the text that we are used to. And I know that we've been doing this for, how long have been doing this? A couple of years, Brent? A couple of years. A couple of years. So I know that we've been hammering on that, but it is so hard to deconstruct that understanding and to work that out of our system because we've been taught to do that. It is deeply, deeply ingrained in us. We read the Bible as if it's just a record of what happened. And I, I, I provoke in the last episode because I want us to ask a different set of questions. We're not just reading this because it's an apologetic record of what happened in history. We're reading this because the authors have an agenda. And the reason why that's important is because the Gospels aren't meant to be harmonized. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the term harmony of the Gospels, um, there's actually a text out there called Harmony of the Gospels. It was one of my biblical texts, my Bible college textbooks. Um, and it takes the four Gospels and it tries to put them together. Like they're not identical in how they record history. So how do we weave them together? How do we how do we harmonize them so that we can read them chronologically? And so this Harmony of the Gospels, I think it was by Thomas Gundry. You can even put a link to it. I'll be I'll be fair and unbiased here. Put a link to it in our show notes. Um, but Thomas Gundry did a Harmony of the Gospels, and um, he tries to basically weave the Gospels together and put together the most likely chronological order of Jesus's life. And that's cool. That's a it's a good conversation. But it's not what the Gospels are trying to do. The Gospels are not trying to record what happened. So when we try to harmonize them, we end up asking a ton of the wrong questions rather than the right questions. And I've been wanting to teach us how to ask the right questions. So I will not be attempting to harmonize the Gospels. That does not mean that there won't be instances where we're talking about a story or a passage in the Gospels, and I won't compare it. Or in that one instance, try to harmonize the text. There'll be a few stories I think we might talk about where I'll try to be, well, when I look at what Luke says and what Mark says and what Matthew says, I think this is probably what happened. I will do that. But my goal, my primary goal, is not going to be to try to get the Gospels to work together. Our podcast will not be talking about um, exactly what happened historically in the life of Jesus. Our podcast is meant to center around what, Brent? The narrative. Yeah, the text itself, right? We call this the... The... What is this? What is this? Yeah, what is this? What do we call this podcast? (laughs) Uh, the Gospels? No, what do we call uh, this podcast? This podcast, this Gospel co- Narrative. No, what do you what do you say when you get on the middle of this podcast? You say, welcome to the... Bema Podcast. The Bema. We're talking about the Bema oh, yes. here, right? At the center of our discussion, we want to sit the... We want we want the text to be central, right? I had no idea what you were doing. I know, I totally <laughs> fooled. through threw a total Bema curveball there. But yeah, this is... Uh, we're not going to try to... This is not the history podcast. This is not the... The text history. This is the we want the text as it's given to us, the inspired God breathed text, as it's given to us to sit at the center of our conversation. And the the harmony is like, I was introduced to the idea of harmony of the gospels in high school, and at that point the idea was new to me. Like, oh, I didn't realize you could harmonize them. I thought they were completely different accounts or whatever. Right. Or I thought, you know, this one was first, and then this one is just an an expansion on that. And then this one came and it's basically the same thing. And then John's doing his own thing. Right. But like, so the idea was interesting. Right. And it, it did kind of lay out some things that made certain things make more sense. Uh, but what I also saw in it is this like, okay, so with Matthew, he's got this chunk from like chapter, I don't know, whatever, 12 or something that's like back in the beginning of Jesus's life. But why does Matthew, so in, 
in how we're doing it now, we're saying, okay, why did Matthew take something that happened here exactly. and put it here in his narrative? What is he trying to do with that? Absolutely. Because they weren't, yeah, their goal was something different. So that's absolutely, absolutely the case. So maybe you have familiarity with the idea of a harmony of the gospels. Maybe you don't, but if you do, you can use that and say, well, here's what I've learned about it. So now why, why did the author actually do this? Right. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to um, minimize the, the importance of apologetics. There's a place for that. Obviously there's a lot of apologetics behind what we're even doing in our podcast. Um, but I, I remember in college that conversation was driven so much by what we saw as inconsistencies in the gospel narratives. Like, why is it that Matthew has one angel and Mark has two? What is the problem? Dun, dun, dun. Rather than asking a better question of what, why would Mark place a second angel at the tomb? And why would Matthew only put one? Why, why are there two blind men in Matthew, but only one blind man in Mark and Luke? Why are there two demoniacs in Matthew, but only one in Mark and Luke? And we were, we were always trying to harmonize that in, in college. And we will get to that when we do our walk through the gospels and we walk through, uh, we'll see why Matthew's doing that. But we were asking the wrong question in that, in that harmony conversation, where if we ask the right question about what's the author's intent, we end up with what I believe is the better answer because it's the author's answer. Uh, but we'll get to that, but we won't be trying to harmonize. So for those that are trying to figure out well, how does this line up with this or that have been used to given that journey? Was, was Matthew standing up on the hill so he could two, see yeah. two people, but the other two writers were like too far away and it seemed like one person? Yeah. Hey, man, you'd be surprised at some of the conversations we had in college. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the common example was, well, if there were two blind men, there were, that means that there was one blind man, obviously. So Mark and Luke just didn't want to talk about the second one. He was just kind of unimportant to the story. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, Bible college students. We were fun back then. All right. So uh, so we're not going to try to harmonize the gospel. Um, so kind of taking off from there, uh, every gospel writer, one of the reasons we won't be harmonizing is because every gospel writer has an agenda behind their gospel. Now, again, if we haven't learned how to ask a new set of questions, that statement alone is this provocative like, Whoa, you can't say that. Gospel writers can't have agendas. That means they're biased. That means, but that's only a problem if you think that they're trying to record like an objective journalist, like if they're trying to give some objective record of history, but that's not what they're doing. And so when Matthew writes his gospel, he has an agenda that he's trying to tell. When Mark writes his gospel, he has an agenda and it's not the same as Mark's. Um, it doesn't mean that they're recording two different lives of Jesus or are giving us an inaccurate viewing of history, but I have to understand their agenda so I understand exactly what you brought up earlier. Why does Matthew tell this story here when he should have put it earlier or could have put it earlier? Um, why that? And so we need to understand that every gospel writer has an agenda. That's what we'll spend our next four podcasts doing. We're going to talk about Matthew's agenda, Mark's agenda, Luke's agenda, and John's agenda. So... Um, so that's, that's part of where we're going to be headed there. But in order to understand that, let's actually talk about what gospel was. Because once we understand what gospel is, it's a little bit easier to swallow some of this other stuff that, that Marty's talking about, that Marty and Brent want to talk about here. So gospel, you called it the what in the Greek, Brent? Euangelion. The euangelion. Not a word created by our New Testament authors. A word that was used centuries before by the Greeks the Greeks brought a euangelion. You might have heard of a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. We've talked about him already. 
Right, Brent? Certainly. Guy that brought us what worldview that we talked about here in this session? The uh, Hellenistic worldview. Yes, the Hellenistic worldview. So um, uh, Alexander the Great had a euangelion. He had a good news, a gospel that he was bringing to the world. His gospel... Euangelion just literally means gospel or good news. Either translation is is fine. Gospel just means good news. Um, Alexander the Great had a good news, a message of good news, a proclamation of good news he was bringing the world. That proclamation was that the empire of Greece, the kingdom of Greece was here. That was his euangelion. The kingdom of Greece is here. And why is that good news? Because Greece brings you all kinds of things. What does Greece bring you, Brent? Uh, it brings you education. It yeah. brings you health care. And remember that podcast from a while ago? I went through the four pillars of Hellenism. Think about those four pillars. What else? Entertainment. Entertainment. Um, what was the last one? Little, uh, I get hurt. I need to go to the... Uh... I said health care. Oh, did you say health care? Yeah. Okay. So what did you say? Same again. I said health care, entertainment, education. Yeah. Oh, oh the, the one that's probably not your jam. Uh, what we got coming up Sunday? We got football coming up, man. Preseason's wrapping up. We got athletics. Sport. Oh, yeah, athletics. Athletics, right? It's a fourth pillar, right? So, so this Hellenistic, this is good news. This is good news. Like if some of our listeners there are like, yeah, I like healthcare. I like, uh, I like education. This is good news. Greece is here. Greece is here and they brought us a whole new world. They brought us education like we've never understood it before. They brought us healthcare like we've never seen it before. They've brought us art. They've brought us aesthetics. They have brought us plumbing. They've brought us their own version of what we might call air conditioning. This is good news. Alexander the Great says, I have good news for you. The kingdom of Greece is here. What was that? I saw something on Twitter the other day. Oh, I think I sent that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the how, how their yeah. air Should conditioning we link system worked. Do you have yeah. that? I, I have it saved. Do you have it saved? Uh, yes. All right. Let's link that in our Pretty show notes. fascinating little diagram about how you can uh, make air move around. Yeah, in, absolutely. In, uh, in ancient ways without... Without any extra power or whatever. Yeah. Pretty pretty slick system. Yeah. All right. You'll link that in the show notes. But yeah, this is good news. Grace is here. And that was the that was the gospel. This is centuries before your New Testament is written. Centuries before Matthew or Mark or Luke or John say that they have a gospel. Alexander the Great has a gospel. Well, guess what the Romans do when the Romans show up? The Romans have a what, Brent? They have their own gospel. They have their own gospel. The good news is that Rome is here. And we've got all the good things that Greece brought you. And we've got Pax Romana. Is a gospel always in relation to a kingdom, or could it be any kind of general good news? I suppose etymologically it could be any, like it was used, as far as we have in in history, we know of it being used imperially to announce imperial kingdoms, but it it should be able to use, just in the way the word functions, in any kind of way, uh, to announce any kind of good news. It could be, it's just the proclamation of a good news. And so when Rome gets here, they have their own good news. And every time a new Caesar comes into power... That Caesar sends out his euangelion. He's going to do it using money and currency. He's going to do it using the Olympic Games. He's going to do it using advents. We'll talk about advents uh, at some point in this session. Uh, advents where he'll, he'll make an arrival. Um, he might have a parousia. Uh, parousia would be a second arrival or a second coming where a Caesar will come back after kind of sending what we might call a bailout check. Uh, we'll look at that in session three and four. Um, so he he's going to have all these instances and opportunities to send out his euangelion. And it's the good news that that his kingdom has arrived. In fact, I have a, uh, there's a city we go to in Turkey. You were able to come there with me, Brent, a city called Priene. Remember Priene? That was our first stop. I was our first stop it was not your first stop this year, right? Let's see. Uh, no, not this year. It was not. 
Went to Didyma. Went to the Oracle of Didyma first. Switching things up. Yep. But yeah, Priene is a, a city not too far, just a handful of miles away from Miletus. Uh, Priene is not mentioned in the Bible at all, but Miletus is. In order to get to Miletus, Paul would have had to have gone through Priene. We just don't have a mention of it in the Bible. But Priene is a city in modern-day Turkey, right on the coast, on the uh, western coast of Turkey there. By Miletus, you can find it probably on a map today. Uh, if you're looking at something with archaeological sites, there's no modern-day city of Priene. Uh, there is a modern-day village there, but I can't remember what its name is. Um, but in Priene, in the ruins of Priene, we found a small little temple on the side of the Agora uh, that was put in place probably right after Caesar Augustus was declared Caesar. Um, now, when, when a new Caesar came uh, to power, you wanted to make sure that you made that Caesar very happy. You don't want to be on the bad side of a Caesar. And so Caesar Augustus comes to power, and they immediately, in Perenne, create a little temple so that if any of Caesar's people or Caesar himself were to show up, they've got a little temple they've already dedicated to the deity and the rule and the kingdom of Caesar. And in this temple, we found this plaque. Now, this plaque, keep in mind, uh, predates the Gospels by five, six, maybe even more decades. Um, the... Uh, the gospel that we're going to talk about here itself, that's the plaque itself predates Jesus, the birth of Jesus by a few decades. So we are definitely talking about before your gospels are written. Okay. And this is what this plaque read that we found in Priena. Okay. Not even biblical. This is all extra biblical. And yet listen to the wording here. Citizens of Priena, since divine providence has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus, whom she filled with virtues for the benefit of all mankind, bestowing on us Augustus Caesar as savior of the world. For he has put an end to war and brought perfect peace. By the epiphany, you could also say Advent, by the epiphany of his birth, he brought the gospel of peace, look at that that word there, the gospel, the euangelion of peace to all mankind. For that reason, the Greeks of Asia have on this day declared that the new year should begin from now on on the 23rd day of September, the day of the birth of this God. Never will another gospel surpass the gospel that was announced at his birth. He is not only Lord of the empire, but Lord of the earth and of the calendar and of time itself. Okay, so there we have really good definitive proof that this idea of gospel is definitely rampant, and they are very used to this idea, and they use this word very frequently in in the decades that precede and even the centuries that precede the life of Jesus. Gospel is something that the people of the Greco-Roman Empire and the Greco-Roman world are very familiar with. Was Alexander the Great the first to use this idea, or did it come even before him? A lot, of, from what I've read, uh, the word predates Alexander, um, but he's the one to really make a ton of use out of it. Like he's the one that brings it to the kind of prominence that we have to appreciate through the Greco-Roman period. He's the one that kind of charters the way. But I don't think they believe he coined the term at all. Um, That term predates that. Uh, Obviously, they connect it to Zeus and Hermes, but the dating of that's going to be argued about. And if anybody knows their Greek mythology, Zeus is the um, giver of good news, giver of the euangelion. And Hermes is the bringer of the euangelion. So it even gets into Greek mythology and how far back into the mythology it goes. That's going to be the source of great debate. But Alexander the Great, in practical terms, is the one that gets a whole lot of mileage out of it and brings it to the world stage. So at least a few centuries before the Gospels. I even read somebody that believe it probably even goes back to even maybe even 7th century BC. 
but just not used in the same way that we come to see it in Jesus's day. So this is important uh, because when you pull out your gospel in your Bible, you need to realize that every time you have the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to John, every time a writer says, I am going to write you a gospel, realize that what they're saying is a subversive statement against the statements that exist in their culture, because their culture is saying, well, Caesar Augustus has brought us a gospel. Alexander the Great has brought us a gospel. And the gospel is what, Brent? The good news of the kingdom of Greece or the kingdom of Rome. Yeah, there's a new kingdom on the scene. There's a new king and a new kingdom. So if Matthew comes along and says, I've got a gospel, what is Matthew announcing? He's saying there's a new king and a new kingdom. There's a new king and there's a new kingdom. And without having our historical context of understanding the word gospel, I think we miss the weight of that just right off the bat. The gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, this is a subversive statement. They're saying, I know that you've heard all about, all on the news, all on, all on Fox News, on CNN, on MSNBC. I know you've heard about a euangelion, but I've got a euangelion for you. There's, a, there's another king. And there's another kingdom on the scene. And this is their pronouncement about a new king and a new kingdom. Which leads me to what I think is an important kind of side note. Maybe it's not a side note. Which is, as we get into the Gospels, let's talk about what is the Gospel. Um, seems to be a pretty straightforward and very important and significant question. Um, there are really two sides in the theological debate in the last 20 years. There's been a large, man, eh, it's probably even not far enough. But... People like N.T. Wright, I don't know if I can give him full credit, but people like N.T. Wright have brought us what we understand today as kingdom theology. Kingdom theology. And understanding the historical context that we've come to understand about the world of the Bible, uh, N.T. Wright and other thinkers were trying to help us reclaim this understanding that the gospel is the pronouncement that the kingdom of God is here. There's a new king and a new kingdom. There's another side of Christian thought, evangelical thought, that pushes against that and says, no, 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 no. The gospel is the announcement of salvation through the grace of God uh, that comes by faith in the substitutionary death of Jesus. And we probably have to pause and like slow down and let that sink in because that is probably the understanding of gospel that we've, if somebody were to come and preach the gospel, and you hear preachers all the time talk about, we're just going to preach the gospel. What we usually mean in the evangelical world is we're going to preach Jesus crucified, Jesus' death on the cross, because the gospel is the message of salvation uh, that comes by faith in believing in this substitutionary death of Jesus. A lot of our um, people that are in the neo-reformer school of thought of evangelicalism, they're going to push this idea. The, you're going to have the Timothy Kellers, the John Pipers, the, um, those theological thinkers today are going to push this idea of the gospel. And, and that worldview isn't necessarily completely incorrect, but it's driven by um, uh, a need to preserve what I'm going to call modern evangelical orthodoxy. It's trying to preserve a theological system. And it's asking a different question than the kinds of questions we ask in our podcast. What N.T. Wright and those thinkers on the other end of the spectrum were trying to bring to the table was, wait a minute, the gospel is bigger than that. The cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is going to be a huge piece of this gospel. It's going to be a central tenet theologically to this kingdom and how this kingdom comes. And, and we're not going to try to put that on the back burner at all. But the actual gospel itself is much bigger 
bigger than that one theological truth or that one moment in history. The gospel is a pronouncement that there's a kingdom that's here. Because if the gospel is just the message about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, well, then all of a sudden I have to deal with, well, what do I do with the three years that Jesus spent wandering around teaching us stuff? If the gospel is just the pronouncement of Jesus' saving death on the cross, if it's just that, I'm not suggesting it's not that, but N.T. Wright says it's more than that because it wasn't just about his death and my salvation and going to heaven. It's about the fact that there's a kingdom that's coming. A new kingdom isn't just coming. It's what's the what's the pronouncement of the Evangelion, Brent? There's a new king and a new kingdom, and it's here. And it's here. Your your tense that you're using is it's here. The pronouncement goes out because the kingdom has arrived. And you look at when Jesus was crucified; he had the placard hanging above him that said, "Jesus, King of the Jews." Absolutely, new king and a new kingdom. And That's... he's going to speak his whole ministry. He's going to say, I've brought the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. In fact, which brings up a great point, Brent. When you go through and you look at your New Testament, if you take this debate between modern evangelical orthodoxy, and notice I'm not saying ancient Christian orthodoxy, just modern evangelical orthodoxy. If you take that debate between kingdom theology and modern evangelical orthodoxy, uh, and then go back and you read your Gospels, and you read your book of Acts, what you're going to come up with, and even Paul's letters, you're going to realize um, that the gospel actually becomes quite clear when you go back and look for it. When John the Baptist comes, what is John John's message? Can you remember, Brent? John the Baptist. The kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or here, or at hand. When John the Baptist dies, what's the very next verse in one of the gospels? Can you remember, Brent? Jesus, Jesus picks up his, what I believe is his rabbi's message. He picks up John the Baptist's message, and he says what? Word for word. The kingdom of heaven is here. Yeah. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. That becomes Jesus' message. When Jesus sends out the ten in the gospel, sends out, not the ten, excuse me, when he sends out the twelve, forgot how many disciples there were there for a moment. When he sends out the twelve, what is the message he tells them to go preach? Preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Good news of the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. This is exactly what we're looking at here. The you want go Give the euangelion, the pronouncement, there's a, there's a new king. And by the way, what are they supposed to do when they go throughout the world preaching this euangelion? What are they supposed to do with their hands and their, what's the actions they're supposed to, out of the words they pronounce kingdom and they... They bring kingdom. They bring kingdom. They heal people that need healing. They cast out demons. They work for justice. They make the world right. Why? Because there's a new king. And a new kingdom. When Jesus sends out the 72, what does he tell them to go preach? The good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom of God. When Jesus uh, dies and his apostles pick up the mantle, when they go through the book of Acts, what do they go out preaching, we're told? The kingdom is here. Yeah, the, the kingdom of God of the is kingdom. here. The good news, the euangelion, I'm telling you, the euangelion, uh, what N.T. Wright and those thinkers are trying to put on the table for us, is the gospel is the pronouncement of a kingdom. Now, one of the most climactic moments of that kingdom, maybe one of the ways that the kingdom comes or the kingdom is realized, however we want to talk about that, and we'll do that all later in session three and session four, like the climactic moment of that will be the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, without a doubt. But the gospel, according to Jesus, according to John the Baptist, according to the apostles, according to the Bible, book of Acts, and even according to Paul and his letters, about three or four references that we have in the New Testament, the gospel is the announcement of the kingdom of God. It is a subversive pronouncement against the euangelion of the world that there's a better king and a better kingdom. What does this sound like to you, Brent? If we were to go all the way back 
to session one and just remind ourselves that the story hasn't changed. What does this remind you of? Uh, that the story is good. Yeah. Uh, what else? That God is uh, has a, a purpose and, and he wants to enjoy his creation. Excellent. What did we call this narrative? The Tale of Two Kingdoms. Tale of Two Kingdoms. What, what two kingdoms do we have here? Uh, Empire and Shalom. Empire and Shalom. See, this, the narrative just really hasn't changed throughout this entire discussion. The narrative remains the same. The narrative is you have empire. You have the euangelion of empire. We bring you the euangelion of shalom. And, and that's what we're going to encounter. This is why we're not going to try to harmonize the gospels because the gospels aren't a, a piece of history. It's not just objective history keeping. Every gospel has an agenda. It is a pronouncement that there's a new king and a new kingdom. And I want to hear that pronouncement in its appropriate context. And um, speaking of that inconsistency between the Gospels and their narratives, I should say that if you're looking for the kingdom of God in the Gospels and you're like, how come Matthew never talks about the kingdom of God? He talks about the kingdom of heaven. Ah, good, and we'll, question. we'll get yep. to why that is uh, probably in the next podcast when we talk about Matthew and his agenda. But Don't forget to ask that in the next podcast because yep. I don't think I have it in my notes, but a great question to deal with. So we'll, we'll make sure Brent asks that. If not, write us. <laughs> Tell us we forgot. But yeah, we'll ask that question next podcast when we talk about Matthew. Uh, all right, I just have some notes here, just kind of a, a summary paragraph that I wrote here. Uh, to summarize, I believe it's incredibly important to learn how to hear each gospel within the context of the agenda of the author. The voice of Matthew needs to be heard as the voice of Matthew, and his gospel needs to be read and seen as a whole narrative from beginning to end with a purpose and a narrative arc and a point to be made. The same is true of Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them is writing their gospel, and they have a, their whole gospel as a narrative package. They have, they have a point from beginning to end, and they've woven, and like an artist, created like an author, a, a narrative arc to be followed in their gospel. Uh, and it's important to keep that. I will try to preserve these distinct voices in their diversity, rather than harmonize them together and ruin the voice, which is a, the inspired word, is meant to be heard. I'll read that last line again. I will try to preserve those distinct voices in their diversity, not harmonize them together and ruin the voice in which the inspired word is meant to be heard. Context surrounding gospel. There's a new king and there is a new kingdom. And we're going to talk about this a lot more Oh my goodness. In, the, in the coming podcast. So if this feels like really crazy. Yeah. We're just kind of laying all the cards out on the table so we can see everything. And we'll, we'll pull out specific examples all throughout this session of, Absolutely. of what we're talking about. Absolutely. Next four podcasts, especially, but then as we walk through uh, the gospels and the life uh, and ministry of Jesus, we'll definitely bump into it because as we just proposed, it's the thing that Jesus is talking about all the time. It's all over the place. All over the place. All right. I think that's it for, for this episode. Uh, we've got a, a few changes on the website. Uh, we're kind of mixing things up, but we've got more and more discussion groups than ever before. Uh, over the summer, we contacted by a couple of listeners in Australia even. So we're, we're not just North America. We are worldwide now. Man, Canada, Australia, we are all over the globe. English speaking world. Anyways. Yes. Yes. We have to, I don't know, look into some translation options Oof, or something. It'll be a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but we do, we do have discussion groups, so check those out at BaymontEstablishment.com. Uh, you can find uh, Marty and me on Twitter. You can find Baymont Establishment on Facebook. Uh, we've all got all, all kinds of ways to uh, get engaged with 
other listeners and, and discuss and wrestle with what we're talking about. So thanks for joining us on the Bay One Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.